Please turn to Psalm 42. It's the opening of the book two of Psalms. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Thank you. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude of pilgrims keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. Thank you for that, Doreen. Well, we are in the middle of this series in the Psalms, and what we're finding is uh, any emotion you might possibly have, you will find it in the Psalms. Any life experience that you may have gone through, you will find it in the Psalms. And so as we read through the Psalms, as we pray through the Psalms, as we sing through the Psalms, we, we kind of discover our own hearts and our own lives. And um, we also learn a lot about God, too. And there's a lot of theology in the Psalms, but it's a little different than the way we normally experience theology in the Bible. And I, I love this quote. This is from that book, Where Prayer Becomes Real. It says this, As the hymnal for the people of God, the Psalms do provide a deep theology of God, but not always in the usual sense. And here's the line that hit me. They teach us about who God is by telling us what he can hear. We discover a lot about a person based on what they can hear. And it turns out that God can hear wonderful things, delightful things, hard things, angry things, and frustrating things. God can even hear false accusations and false claims, right? We learn about who God is by what he can hear. And in the Psalms are God's invitation to whatever is going on, you can bring it to me and I can hear it. I have room for it. 
You're not going to surprise me. You're not going to offend me. You can say just about anything to me. And, and I'm a God who can sit with you in whatever you've said to me. So we learn about who God is uh, by what he can hear. And so we're exploring different aspects of life and of our hearts that we can bring to God. Last week we talked about sin, the sin in our lives, and how we need to bring that before the Lord. And he can certainly hear that. And today we're going to talk about pain. We're going to talk about the grief, the sadness, the loss the hurt and the anger that goes along with that, but we're going to look at grief and pain and how we are invited to bring that to our God, and he can hear any kind of pain that we might want to bring to him. So today we look at a psalm of lament, and this is a famous psalm. Many of us love this psalm, and some of us may not think of it as a lament psalm, but it is a lament psalm. It's, it's not one of the most extreme laments. It's kind of a middle-of-the-road lament psalm, if I can put it that way. Um, it's not as dark as some of the lament psalms are, but it is definitely a lament psalm. And so we're going to look at um, our own pain and what does it look like to bring that before our God. And before we get into the psalm, I just want to acknowledge a couple obvious things. Uh, one is um, that, uh, well, this is not going to be a light ser- sermon <laughs> today, but um, I want to acknowledge there's a lot of pain in this room right now. Uh, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of grief. And this week, I've thought about a number of you individually and thought of the things that have been pulled from you in this year or in the last couple of years that you now just have to live with. And so there's a, there's a lot of collective pain, as there always is in a room uh, this large with, uh, full of people. But there's pain in this room. And um, some of you are feeling the weight of your own pain right now. As I said, things have been taken from you. And, you're, and it's hard and it hurts, and you're, you are right in the midst of your own pain. Um, some of us in this room are feeling the pain of someone we love, right? A family member or a friend who's going through. We're, we're always only one degree of separation from, from pain, right? Uh, and then some of us, I think, are just feeling the pain of the world these days. And there's this just kind of general lament. I think the last three years going through this pandemic has been just a collective experience of lament. And, and it's just sort of an underlying current. It's, it's what Romans 8 calls the groaning that we have in this fallen world. There's just a lot of collective groaning uh, right now. So I just want to acknowledge that. And I'm, I'm actually going to ask you to be present to your pain today. I'm going to ask you not to turn that aside, but actually bring that uh, into this time. Um, Obviously, some pains and losses are small, and some pains and losses are very big. So um, I'll give you a small loss. Uh, When when COVID hit uh, and everyone was buying dogs because everyone was stuck in their homes, um, the Gunlocks instead bought three rats for our three girls. And uh, yeah, we can talk more about that after the service. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge rat enthusiast, okay? So come and debate rats with me. I promise I will argue with you and I will win, okay? Um, but it turns out that rats have about a two to three year lifespan. So in the last three months, uh, we lost Templeton and then we lost Freddy. And Trickster's not far behind, right? So we've had in the last three months, we've had uh, two backyard burial ceremonies. And our girls, are, we're watching our girls go through their, actually their first experience of loss and grief, uh, in that, of really losing some, someone that they, they care about. It's just a rat, but it's been pretty devastating for them. It's a pet. It's a family member, right? 
Um, so there's small losses. And then just yesterday, Mark led the service uh, for Ron Adams and sweet Kim, who we talked about a couple weeks ago. She lost her Ron of 50-plus years of marriage, and she watched him be lowered into the ground, and we all did yesterday. That's a massive big loss. Um, so there's small losses, there's big losses. And like I said, I'm just asking you to be present to either the loss within you or the loss of a, that you're feeling for someone that you care about. And I also just want to acknowledge, um, I feel like there, there's a tension that we experience with the whole idea of lament and, and grief. And I think part of that can be our family of origin, depending on kind of our, our history. Um, sadness may not have been an expression that was uh, welcomed, potentially, um, that maybe we came from a, a background that it was sort of a, you, you buck up and you keep going and you move on, and sadness is not an appropriate emotion to feel. We just, we, life is hard and we go through it. So there, there may be, a, we may have grown up in a place where sadness and grief really wasn't welcomed or didn't, we didn't have permission explicitly to experience that. And I think there's also another tension just as, um, as Christians, if I can put it this way, as, as New Covenant Christians, and I was just thinking about, you know, you get to the New Testament, the things that the New Testament, the writers say, like Paul will say, rejoice always, right? I'll say it again, rejoice always. Or he'll say, um, give thanks in all circumstances. Or James begins his letter by saying, consider it joy, right, when you have to face trials of various kinds. So I think uh, maybe in the evangelical church or just Christians in general, there's this, we feel this kind of tension. How, am I, how do I honor those passages? And yet here I am feeling this thing. What do I do with this? And so in light of that, I'm just so grateful <laughs> that we have the Psalms in our sacred scriptures. We have this, this long-standing spiritual tradition of lament from a people groups, Israel in this case, who knew <laughs> the ups and downs and continue to know the ups and downs of life. And, and modeled for all of God's people this, this posture of, of lament. If you look at the psalm, you know, it begins, it, it's tagged with this, this heading, for the director of music, okay? Meaning this is meant to be put to music. It's meant to be sung that the sons of Korah were part of the priestly line that were charged with the worship, the musical worship of the life of Israel. So this is a lament that was put to song and brought into the regular rhythm of Israel's worship. And I was thinking this, that, you know, we don't tend to do that. The American church, uh, we don't have a pocket for lament in our Sunday services uh, very often. And, and I thought, you know, that there might be, we might be missing something there. Because every, every week... People are bringing their grief into this room, and, and a lot of churches are very, I mean, we're pretty subdued to, compared to a lot of churches, right? A lot of churches, it's a celebration service. That's what this is, and we're going to get people going, and we're going to do that, and, and I can understand that, and we're giving encouragement and hope, but I, I wonder if, if the, the people of God, there's, there's a place for lament. And so I even have been thinking about what that looked like for us to, to create space for what is clearly happening in so many people every Sunday, uh, and I'm grateful that we have this this spiritual tradition and this part of our sacred, you know, scriptures, our, the Word of God invites us into this. So that's all by way of um, just sort of some thoughts I had uh, as we go into this psalm about how we kind of feel about lament. So let's, let's look at this psalm. Uh, beautiful, beloved, I think, by many of us in this room. And um, what I want to look at today is simply what, what, what grief looks and feels like, and then what does faithful biblical lament look like? 
Okay? This, and I think this psalm beautifully models faithful biblical lament. Right? So first, let's just kind of look at what, what the grief looks at. Let's, let's look at the psalmist's experience for a second. We'll look at his, his, uh, out, the cir- circumstantial experience, and then we'll get inside of kind of his inner experience. So um, hard to know exactly what's happening in the psalm, but a couple things that we learn about the circumstances. Um, it's clear that this person, it could, very well could be David. I mean, this would fit wonderfully in David's life that then the sons of Korah kind of put into song. Who knows who this is? But circumstantially, it's clear that this person has been exiled, has been separated from Jerusalem where God's sanctuary is, okay? And they're, they're clearly up in the north. They're talking about the land of Jordan, the heights of Mount Hermon, Mount Mitzar. Okay, those are, those are places up in the north. So this person, for whatever reason, is, is separated from, from the, the holy city of Jerusalem, cannot go back, and is, is longing to go back and be in the sanctuary of God. So again, David's experience, um, when David's son Absalom took over, David was, he, had to, he was exiled from his own, his own you know, capital city by his own son, and, and longing to go back, longing to go back to the sanctuary. He's crying, you know, when can I go back? When can I meet? So that's circumstantially what's happened. And often that's what grief involves, right? Some kind of exile, or some kind of separation, where something we care about, a place or a person or a comfort, we've been separated from it. And we, we can't have it the way we're used to having it. And this psalmist is experiencing that. Uh, it's clear that there's also some external enemies in, uh, in this person's life. If you look at verse 3, uh, the second half of verse 3, it says, While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 10, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God as a taunt? Where is your God now? Where is your God now? So it's really clear that any observer of this person's life would realize something really hard has happened to this person's life. It's clear to us. And since we don't like him and his God, we're saying, where's Yahweh now? You, you claim to have faith in Yahweh. Clearly, Yahweh's abandoned you. He doesn't care for you, okay? So this is the, the external circumstances that we know. It's about all we can we know from the psalm itself. Um, what we learn more, though, is the internal circumstances. What lament, what grief, what loss feels like inside, okay? And the psalmist gives us a number of images that are just so relatable for anybody who has been through grief. And let me just talk you through some of these. Look at verse 1, right? Most famous line of all. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, okay? This is what this grief feels like. It feels like there's a dryness, right? That, that, that is just, there's no refreshment coming. There's a longing for consolation and comfort and refreshment, and it's not coming. It just feels dry, right? That's the image. Um, another image, look at verse 3. Ugh, this one hit me a ton. My tears have been my food day and night, okay? And this is what grief feels, right? He's saying, I can't sleep, right, day and night. I'm not even hungry, and I can't stop crying, right? The the only thing I've been eating is the tears that are streaming down my face and going into my mouth, okay? I can't sleep, I can't eat, and I can't stop crying. This is my experience of whatever this person, this grief, this loss this lament, and some of you have been there before. 
Uh, look at verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony. Right? There's, there's, this, there's an, an inner aching. My body is aching. It feels heavy. It's, it's just, it hurts. And last week we talked about how, how um, shame and guilt can create you know, these, these physical symptoms. And here we learn that grief and loss can also create that kind of feeling. Ah, I'm, just, I'm just aching inside. And then the, the end of verse 7, hard to know exactly what this means, but look at the end of verse 7. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Okay? Again, I'm not positive, but it could be this. It feels like I'm drowning. <laughs> it just feels like one wave after the next keeps hitting me, and I, I just can't catch my breath. I just feel like I'm drowning right now. And again, that, these are these, these metaphors, these pictures that, that many of us in this room go, yes, I know exactly what that, what that feeling is like. So this is a season of darkness, of pain, of dryness, of grief, of separation, of exile. And what we're going to do is we're going to watch now the psalmist lament, okay? And uh, what I want to say is, you know, when we're really hurting, what we want, we want, we want a fix, right? We want we want, is there, is there some idea, is there some spiritual practice or some spiritual pro, uh, like um, posture that I can take that can help me rise above the pain that I'm feeling, right? That's what we all want in moments of, of deep loss and grief. And what we learn from the scriptures is, unfortunately, no, there's not. There, there is no magic pill to be taken. There is just a faithful walking through this lament with God. And, and here's I'll just sum it up and then we'll see it. Here's what biblical lament looks like. It looks like vacillating. It looks like oscillating between moments of anguish and anger and and confusion and loss and cries and then moments of hope and consolation and continuing to fight to keep our trust in God. It means going back and forth between those things. That's what biblical, faithful lament looks like throughout the Psalms. The key, though, is wherever the psalmists find themselves, they keep bringing that to God himself. That is, I think, the key to biblical lament is whether they're in moments of anguish and despair and anger or they're in moments of consolation and comfort, they bring it all to God. They lay it at his feet and say, Lord, you are the one who has to deal with this. That's the difference between biblical lament and other kinds of lament. Okay, so let's watch how this works, okay? First, let's look at these, these cries, these moments of, of pain and, and anger and, and anguish. And what you see in this psalm is just two questions, two simple questions that the psalmist asks that pops up throughout the psalms, and they're really profound questions. Uh, the first question is when, okay? Look at verse 2, the second half of verse 2. When can I go and meet with God? Right? I've been separated from his sanctuary. I feel like I've been separated from his presence. When can I be with him? And implicit in that question is, it's been too long. It feels like it's been a long time. When, God, when will you restore this sense of communion with me? And so underneath the question when is probably the deeper question, how long? For how long? And that's actually the, the version that pops up most in the Psalms. You see that question come again and again. I think I have an example of it here. Yes, here's Psalm 13. How long, Lord? Like, how long will this last? Will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Right? This is what we feel. Oops. This is what we feel in grief. How long will this happen, Lord? This feels like it's been going on too long. And David simply just cries out, when? When will this end? When will I get relief? When will I see your face again in your sanctuary? Uh, And then the second question, and this is the deep question of lament, of course, as you may have seen it there, is verse 9. Take a look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, here's the question, why? (laughs) Right? Why have you forgotten me? This is the most poignant question of all in the laments is why. We see it show up in various ways in our passage. Why have you forgotten me? In chapter 43, which actually is very connected with this psalm, he puts it this way. Why have you rejected me? Uh, and then in, uh, of course, Psalm 22, maybe most famously, why have you forsaken me? Okay? Forgotten, rejected, forsaken. These are dark words and dark questions. Why, God? What is going on here? This is the deepest cry of the heart in lament. Uh, if any of you have ever read the book of Job, it's 42 chapters long. And it's 42 chapters asking the basic question, why? (laughs) It's 42 chapters of why, okay? And this is the deepest cry of laments. And our our hearts cry this when we're experiencing grief. So you've got this side of things, but what I want you to notice is the psalmist brings these really tough questions to God. They don't turn from God. They bring them to God. And they're gnarly. They're honest, right? You've, you've forgotten me. That's raw. That's very honest. That's what they're feeling. And they don't pull punches with God in lament. Okay, the psalmists don't pull any punches. They go after God. And it's really interesting what the psalmists do. Um, in our day and age, I think when people are going through lament, right, we have other things to say like, well, you know, it's, it's a fallen world, right? This has happened because it's a fallen world. Or we know that Satan is alive and well, and this is Satan at work. And both of those things are very true. But that's not where the psalmists go. The psalmists lay the blame fairly uh, right at the feet of God. Say, God, you could change this. You could have prevented this. You could fix this. And so I'm bringing my complaint to you. I'm not letting you off the hook. Why have you rejected me? Why have you forgotten me? Now notice, the statements are not technically theologically accurate. Right? God has not actually forgotten this person. Okay? But it's certainly true to their experience in the moment. It, 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 it certainly feels like you're not here. You've, you've left me. And so God can even hear those theologically inaccurate statements that the psalmist in their better moments realizes, I know that's not technically true, but this is sure what it feels like right now. And so I love that they just go after God and they, they, they don't let him off the hook. They, they press into him, but the beauty of it is they keep pressing into him, right? They don't turn from God in their pain. They turn towards the very person that they feel like has wounded them. And they're like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lean in harder. We talked about a couple weeks ago, prayer is like a wrestling match, right? The psalmist feel wounded by God, and the response is, I'm going to jump back in the ring, and I'm going to wrestle you more until I can wrestle a blessing out of this thing from you. Okay, Wendell Berry wrote a, a, a poem about marriage. It's one of my favorite poems about marriage. This really sober statement towards the end of it, he says, 
So this is the context of marriage. I break from you, I turn to you, we hurt and are hurt and have each other for healing. Okay, that's what marriage looks like, right? We hurt each other, we turn from each other, we turn towards each other, and the very person who hurts me is the person I have for healing. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of how the psalmists view their relationship with God. God, you have wounded me, you've left me, it feels like, but I'm gonna turn towards you. Where else am I gonna go for healing but you? Okay? So you have these honest, heartfelt cries, expressions of abandonment, of anger. That's one side of lament. Okay? And we're talking about there's a vacillation going back and forth. Now let's look at the other side of lament, where you see this psalmist, even in their cries, also fighting for hope, fighting for trust, fighting for faith in God. So let's look at this. It's so beautiful. Um, I see the psalmist doing at least three things here on this side of of fighting for hope. First, the psalmist is trying to remember the moments of God's faithfulness. Okay, look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I've been separated from your sanctuary and the worship of God's people, but I remember those days. I'm sure they're bittersweet memories in the moment, right? But I'm remembering, no, you have been faithful in the past. This is not my entire experience. I can remember times where you have been really great. Look at verse 6. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. I will go back to the days of your faithfulness. I will, I will draw on those. Remember, God has been good to you. And this is what we do in times of lament. We go back. No, God has been good. So I can trust that he will be good again. He remembers. Um, he affirms God's love for him. Look at verse 8. By day, the Lord directs his love. Uh, at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. That word love is that Hebrew word we've talked a lot about, chesed. It's that Faithful, steadfast, never-ending love. And he's affirming God still commands that has said on me. So he just said God has forgotten me. And now we realize, well, David doesn't actually theologically believe that. He knows. No, no, God's love is still with me. It just doesn't feel that way right now. But he reaffirms God's commitment to him, his covenant with him. So he remembers, he affirms God's love. And the third thing he does is he preaches to his own soul. And many of you have heard this before. But this is, look at uh, twice in the psalm, you see David preaching, trying to encourage his own soul. Look at verse 6, or sorry, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 11, how the psalm ends. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. A little extra credit. Go to the end of verse four, uh, 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 Psalm 43. Psalm 43, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Right? So it's as if the psalmist, there's, there's two people in him. There's his soul which is broken and downcast and is, is ready to give up hope, right? Is in despair, is depressed, you name whatever word. But there's another voice in him looking at that one and saying, come on, soul, <laughs> right? Don't give up. I'm not going to let you take us down together, okay? 
put your hope in God. This will, this will pass. Trust in him. You can, you can do this. So you have him encouraging his own soul. And many of you are familiar with uh, of a quote from uh, Martin L- Lloyd-Jones who wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. Um, he's a great, great uh, preacher and, and theologian. But I, wanna, I think I put it up here. Uh, he's got this great quote on this psalm. I love how he puts it. Um, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Uh, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Uh, he says that some other things. Uh, somebody is talking to you. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down on my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And I love this. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Isn't that great? And that's what you see the psalmist doing. He's remembering the faithfulness of the Lord. He's affirming the love of God. And he's preaching to his own soul. (laughs) Put your hope again in God. And what I find interesting is that it ends with that inner self-talk. And we don't really know how this thing ends for the psalmist. We don't know if circumstance to what happens. We don't know if, if after finishing this, the psalmist is happy and encouraged or if the psalmist is still a bit downcast and gloomy. We, we actually don't get the answer to that. Um, but that right there is, that is what biblical lament looks like. It looks like vacillating back and forth between grief, sadness, cries, and hope and remembrance in putting our trust in God. But the key is wherever we find ourselves on that spectrum, it is bringing all of that to God. And that's the, that's the difference of biblical lament. An unbiblical lament, which I see happen so much these days, is when we let our griefs and our disappointments and our pains let us separate us from God and drift farther and farther away from God. And as I look at so many people in America these days who are just kind of drifting away from the faith, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the key reasons is, in the end, life has not gone the way they had hoped it would in some very painful ways. Right? Some very disappointing, hard ways. And they kind of just go, this thing doesn't work. Right? God has not come through. And so they walk away. And biblical lament never walks away. It's painful. There's no fix. <laughs> there's no speeding up the process. But there's a, an ongoing pushing into God, who is all we have for healing. So before I pray, there are three words that came to my mind in terms of um, how we might respond to this lament uh, today, that one of these words might sit with you. Uh, The first is, maybe you just need permission. Just kind of seems like a funny thing, but maybe you need permission to lament. And maybe you're the kind of person where there are a lot of losses and griefs uh, that you just, you kind of just keep moving. 
right? You stay busy or you, you kind of buck up and just keep going. And maybe this morning, there's like an invitation from the Lord, like, it's okay to lament. And you're kind of worried, what if I open up something? I'm not ready to open up. But maybe today is about God's like, this psalm is your permission. You need to grieve some things um, that you're, you haven't been grieving because they need to be grieved. They're going to they're gonna do something in you. And so this is your permission to grieve. Uh, maybe today, another word was, is comfort. Some of you are just right at the heart of some hard things, some loss, some pain, some confusion. And, and maybe the Lord today, this psalm and communion is his way of saying, I see you. <laughs> I see you in your pain, and I, I am with you, and I want to bring some comfort. I, I do want to bring some refreshment uh, into your soul right now, and maybe that is for you. And then the third would be just this word of care. As we, as we look at this, people in our lives, uh, maybe life is great for you right now, but there's someone in your life that you know is in this place. You're like, oh, I want to I wanna offer more. I just want to notice them more and care for them in some you know, simple and, and sweet way. So I'd encourage you to think through what, what is the invitation for me? We didn't, we didn't come to church expecting lament today, but there's an invitation for all of us. So let me close in prayer, and then we will uh, celebrate communion together. Father, uh, as we look at the the pain uh, of life today, um, we're just grateful that you are a God who can hear anything, and uh, that you've actually even modeled pain and walking through that in a way that doesn't dismiss it, doesn't deny it, doesn't just try to cover over it, but that that tells us these are very real things and that you see us in our pain and that you are still with us in our pain. And so I pray today as we come to your table and celebrate uh, communion uh, that you would have something for us in our pain or in a friend or family member's pain. And that you would draw near to us, that you'd bring your comfort, bring a sense of your presence, uh, or you'd bring a fresh um, perspective maybe, um, or just a reminder that you are walking with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.